anyone remember the comedian Gallagher? He would like hit watermelons and like people in the front row would get splashed. So I'm nursing a cold and I have a cough drop in my mouth. I make no promises that people in the front may not get that cough drop on their face at any moment this morning. So if it does, I apologize in advance, okay? <laughs> Excuse me. So um, I grew up in Southern California, and one of my favorite places to go in Southern California was, of course, Disneyland. And one of my favorite rides is Pirates of the Caribbean. And when you get on the boat in the boat dock um, for Pirates of the Caribbean, you're kind of transported into this very atmospheric Louisiana bayou. As you float along to the right, there's a restaurant serving very overpriced food at candlelit tables where families are arguing. All around you, you have hand-carved cypress trees with moss dangling down. You float a little further into the left, there's this ramshackled cabin with an old man who's an audio animatronic playing the banjo of old Susanna. And you hear the sounds of crickets and various swamp-esque creatures. This part of the ride was always one of my favorite parts of the entire ride, even though it was really just set dressing for the transition from the real world to the world of pirates and adventure. The reason I love this part, why I still love this part, is because of one simple thing. Fireflies. I love them. Growing up in Southern California, you didn't see fireflies unless you went to Pirates of the Caribbean. In fact, embarrassing, I didn't know fireflies were a real thing until I was 19 years old going to college in Missouri. Go Southern California. I still remember the very first time that I saw fireflies. I was in Carthage, Missouri. It was about three days before my freshman year of Bible college began. I was staying at this very nice family's house out in the country, and I grew up in the city. Like, my town has like 110,000 people. And we had finished dinner, and I looked out in their backyard through their big bay window, and they had this huge sloping lawn in the back, just woods. Now, growing up in the city, you watch a lot of horror movies and scary movies where everything bad that happens to good people happens in an abandoned town, a cornfield, or a forest. So when I start seeing flickers of light, I'm like, oh, crap, this is it. I shouldn't have moved here. And I asked them, what is that? And they said, fireflies. And I'm like, shut up, you lie. And they looked at me like I was an idiot. And I looked at them like they were idiots. And I'm like, those aren't real. You guys, they are. Do you know that? <laughs> so for two hours, I went outside, and I watched, and I observed, and I chased, and I caught fireflies. And I'm sure I look like an overgrown five-year-old, like, prancing through the meadow, like, chasing fireflies, because I just thought they were so cool. I didn't know they were real. I thought it was something Walt Disney had thought up for a ride. To this day, I get, like, awkwardly excited about fireflies. Like, it makes some people uncomfortable. You could be driving in a car with me, and if it's summertime and it's dusk and I see a firefly, I'm going to be like, ooh, firefly, ooh, firefly. I'm nearing 40 years old. I still watch them. I still chase them, and I still try and catch them. You guys, their butts light up. It's freaking amazing. They just amaze me. But that's the thing. There are lots of things in this world that can amaze us, that inspire us, that shock us, that surprise us, that wow us. The problem is, is that often we're too busy to even notice that they're there. Today, as we continue our message series, Teach Us to Pray, we're going to dig into the idea of what it means to have wow prayer. 
We've talked about prayers of help. We've talked about prayers of thanksgiving. Next week, Chris is going to be uh, talking about prayers of forgiveness. If you haven't heard the messages, you could download our app and here and there you could get our podcast, any of those things. But there's some great information in there because I think all of us want to know really a better way to pray. Two weeks ago when Chris talked about help, he specifically talked about a story where a father brings his young son who is demon-possessed to Jesus for healing. And Jesus challenges the father at one point and says, where's your faith? And the father, I think, responds like a lot of us would respond. I, I believe, comma, long pause, I don't know if I have that much faith, though, so help me in my unbelief. This is what I know. I fully know and believe that most, if not all of us in this room right now, have at least a very small kernel of faith that there is some form of God that exists. I think that maybe not all of us, but a good portion of us in here today have a kernel of, of faith that in the truth and reality of who Jesus is and was. But I think all of us are in this room today because we want more. We're looking for more connection. We're looking for more understanding, for a deeper knowledge, because we all have a lot of disbelief. So let me be pretty straightforward in saying that when we take the time to rest in the wonder and recognize the wow, not only does it build our relationship with God, which it does, that's what prayer does, but it can also transform our faith. The author Anne Lamont says that the moment of wow are an opportunity for us to reconnect with the God behind the wow. And I love that because when you dig into the Bible, you will see prayers that are nothing more than someone resting in wonder. They're just resting in moments of wow and giving adoration to God because of it. The book of Psalms are a great place to start. We've talked about the book of Psalms numerous occasions here at A10. Uh, the book of Psalms is about halfway through the Old Testament. There's 150 of them, half of which are written by David or Solomon, who were kings of Israel. But the thing you have to realize about Solomon and David is that even though they were kings, they were seriously messed up people. They had issues. They had trials. They were broken. They were just like us, jacked up in their own special way, because you know you are. That's what it is. We're human. We're all messed up in our own special way. But... The book of Psalms are pictures of adoration and wonder and wow and resting in the pause of what if from people who are being honest with where they are at in their lives and kind of resting there and knowing that they need to express their need for God, whether it's the good, the bad, or the kind of bad that can't even make it on Game of Thrones. Psalm 19 verses 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Have you ever watched the sunrise? It's not an often experience for me. Personally, I think mornings are the worst. The only thing worse than mornings are morning people. If you're a morning person, I, you know... I just don't know about you. Like, no one should wake up that perky. It's not natural. But there are those moments when we're up before the sun. Maybe you're in your kitchen getting your first cup of coffee for the day. Maybe you're on vacation at the beach. Or maybe you're driving to work. And you watch the darkness of night slowly fade into deep blues and purples. 
And even though the stars can still be seen in the sky, you begin to see clouds that have been there the whole time, but you're seeing for the first time in shades of pink and peach. And as our globe slowly turns and the sun begins to make itself known more and more, the sky is filled with brilliant colors of orange, red, and yellow, and it just stops us. And we say, wow. When we're paying attention in those moments of the creation around us that's so utterly beautiful, it just stops us exactly where we were at because we are seeing God's handiwork firsthand. And God's handiwork is hardwired to speak to us. I have several friends who are atheists. I have multiple friends who are agnostic, meaning that they believe in a God, but they don't prescribe to a particular faith. And they will tell you something that I think you already know. When you give yourself time to get out into nature, to experience wonder, and just to rest in that, something stirs deep inside of you. There's a reason that slogans like, the mountains are calling, appeals to us. Because they are. Because it speaks to the very nature of how God has created us. It speaks to the very souls that exist inside of us that there is something more, something bigger than all of the other distractions we allow to fill our space. Have you ever looked up at the night sky? Maybe you're on your porch or in a friend's backyard hanging out. If you're lucky, maybe you're in the mountains. And you look up into the night sky and you just are silent at the vastness of it all. Knowing that each speck of light is a star and each star has the potential to have multiple planets orbiting it. And you see millions and millions of stars in space that goes on and on, light years and light years away from where we are standing as mere specks on our planet. But we could read Psalm 139 that says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none. The God who paints the sky in brilliant colors, that created the furthest outreaches of space, knew us before we were born. I get how unrealistic that sounds. I didn't become a Christian until I was 19 years old. To this day, I am someone that questions everything. If I heard that back then, honestly, if I heard someone else saying it right now, I'd probably give mad side eye and deep sighs and eye rolls because that's just how I'm wired. But one of the things that I have learned is that though it sounds fantastical and unreal, When we are willing to lean into the seemingly impossible, when we embrace the pause of what if, and we can rest in the wonder, that's when our faith can be transformed. Look, every day we are surrounded by opportunities to be wowed. Every day. When you watch the sunrise, when you watch it set, when you smell the fresh aroma of coffee first thing in the morning, Ah, smells so good, and then it tastes it, and it tastes like crap. 
when you hear a child's laugh, when you're standing next to a waterfall, when you witness unexpected kindness from a stranger, when you become just entranced with a thunderstorm in the summertime or you watch the first snowfall of the season, when you realize that from a tiny, tiny seed grows the giant trees that are around us every day, when you hear music that's composed so well, if you close your eyes, you feel like you're being transported to someplace else. When you begin to learn how our bodies work, how our eyes and our ears and our minds work, how our senses work, how our immune systems function. That's a wow type of thing. When you're walking by the river during springtime and the breeze brings with it that smell of blooming flowers, when you fly in a plane and you realize how much technology has to exist for that to happen, when you hold hands with the one you love or when you have your first kiss or when you do things, you know, married couples do, Wow. When you have that bite of food that is so good, it blows your mind. For me, it was this last December. It was creamed leeks. That does not sound like something that should be good. That sounds gross. It was amazing. Every day there are things around us that wow us. This tablet, the phones in your pocket, have more computing power than the rocket that took Neil Armstrong to the moon. Watching the leaves slowly change colors in the fall. When you witness a child being born. When you look up in the night sky and you feel so tiny. When you look back at your past and you realize that you don't need to be defined by it. When you see the glow of fireflies in the summertime. Those are all wow moments. Psalm 8, 3-4 says... When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? That right there is a huge wow. That the God of creation cares for you and I. We're going to take a look at Matthew 6, 9 through 13 just real briefly and we've been talking about it over these past uh, couple weeks and I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive on some certain parts, and then we're just going to rest in one section in particular. But first, I want to give you a quote by N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is a pretty well-known theologian, and he says that what we call the Lord's Prayer is not so much a command as it is an invitation. An invitation to share in the prayer life of Jesus himself. An invitation to share in the divine life. Because when we pray... We're actively leaning into Jesus. We are intentionally conversing with the Creator. We are resting in the wonder and awe of it all. Here's one of the interesting things about the Bible. You can read a scripture or a section of scripture over and over and over and over again, and you will more than likely see something new pretty often. You could read a section of scripture or an entire chapter or book over and over and over again for years And you can still come across something that stops you in your tracks that you've never noticed before. That is what happened to me. Matthew 6 and Luke 11 that talk about this example of prayer that Jesus gives his disciples is something that I've read. I've prayed in churches. I've heard hundreds of times. I've taught messages on. I've read books on. But it was in preparation for this message that I was stopped by something that I'm going to share with you in a moment. Starting at verse 9, it says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed meaning holy. May your name be set apart and honored always in the hearts of man. That is what that is saying. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the idea, catch this, that the things God values are the things we should value. 
not the other way around. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to value the things that God values. This is demonstrated um, when Jesus is praying in the garden shortly before he goes to the cross. And he's pleading with God to take the cup from him, that he doesn't want to die. But he leans into this discipline and idea of not my will, but your will be done. One of the hardest things for any of us to ever understand, grasp, believe, and live out is that it's not about us. Give us this day our daily bread. We trust that you will continue to provide for us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Chris is going to talk about that next week. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Protect and lead us. Now, entire messages have been preached on this before. Nothing new. So I want us to zero in on two words and two words only. Our Father. Those two words set the tone for the entirety of the rest of Jesus' example. Our Father. The word Father, it's not one of formality. It is one of informality. It is one of relationship. It is intimate. It is intentionally intimate. And the word our, Jesus doesn't say mine, he says our. It's a collective our. Meaning that God is father to all. For those that believe in him, for those that don't believe he exists. Here's the reality about God. Who he is is not determined by how many people believe in him. He's still God. But the term our father, if we're honest, is a loaded word. I'm betting that if I ask for a show of hands, which I'm not going to do, but if I ask how many of us in this room have daddy issues, we would have a lot of hands up in this room. A lot of us have daddy issues. We have father issues. These two words stopped me because I have father issues. And it makes me uncomfortable to know that there can be an intimate relationship between me and God because that's what he wants for us. And if I take a moment to sit and rest, why it makes me uncomfortable, part of the reason that it makes me uncomfortable is because I know I'm kind of gross. Not smelly, I don't think, but I'm selfish. I know I can be arrogant. I know that I have struggled with things that I have struggled with my whole life and I still haven't overcome them. And so I think to myself, how in the world can the creator God want to be in a relationship with me. And then I add in all the other layers. Because for a lot of us, when we hear the word father, we automatically think of the guy who wasn't around when we needed him or wasn't there at all. We think of the guy who abused us, who took advantage of mom, who caused us pain and hurt. Therapists make millions of dollars off of people like you and me because we have jacked up dads. Not everyone, but a lot of us do. So when we hear the word our father, we're not wowed, we're terrified. We're terrified of what the implications can be true or what they can mean. But here's what I know to be true, is that the God that Jesus says that we can pray to, that wants a relationship with us, that we can call our father is nothing like my dad. He's nothing like your dad. Even if your dad is the best dad in the entire world, 
He's something all together more, and he meets us exactly where we're at in a personal and intimate way. About eight years ago, my wife, Leanne, um, suffered a miscarriage. It was pretty early on in the pregnancy, so I didn't think it would affect me as much as it did, and it did affect me, and it affects me some ways still today. The day that we found out, we talked a lot, and we prayed, and we cried, um, but I never felt like I can fully just give in to what I was feeling, because I felt like I had to be strong, because that's what we do. And so when Leanne went to sleep that night, and our two-year-old daughter at the time, Bella, was asleep, I went into our small little living room in Los Alamitos, California, and I sat there, and I was overcome with the feeling that I just wanted to call my dad which was super weird to me (laughs) because I didn't have the best relationship with my dad. It wasn't the worst, but there was a lot of stuff from my childhood that was scarring and traumatizing and took a lot of time to get over. So the idea that I suddenly wanted to call my dad was super weird to me. And at the same time, I was a pastor of a church, and I knew that I could go to God the Father, but I didn't want to because even though I knew with my head that God would be there for me, I didn't believe anything in my heart. And I'm sure most of you know, sometimes it's a really long journey between the head and the heart. So I did the only thing I knew I could do. I prayed, and this prayer was not one that was gracious or even, I think, directed at God. It was basically me just verbalizing all of my pain and frustration. I cussed, I screamed, I cried, I snotted. It was gross. For about three hours... I just wallowed in the pain and the brokenness. Here's the thing about hard times. It's really hard to see that God is there with you when you're in the midst of it. Looking back, I could very much see where God was. I can pinpoint the way that God used different people in Leanne and I's life. I could see how he met me exactly where I was at to use that time to bring restoration of some of my real dad and I's relationship. Because that's what our father does. He meets us exactly where we're at. He met me in my brokenness, in my pain, in my grief, in my frustration, in my anger, in my disbelief. And he let me be all of those things, and it was okay to be all of those things because he met me exactly where I was at because that's what, that's what he does. That's what he does for all of us, whether we're disenchanted, whether we have no faith at all, whether we're happy or sad, he is right there with us wanting to be in relationship with us. The God of the universe wants to be in relationship with us. I think we make prayer into something way more complicated than it needs to be. You'll hear people that say, you need to wake up every morning and set aside 30 minutes to read your Bible and pray. Those are great things. There's biblical precedence for that. But it's not the only thing. You'll hear people say, oh, well, you shouldn't really ask for anything. You should just give prayers of thanksgiving. Well, you know, that's true. There's biblical precedence for that. But it's not the only thing. You'll hear people say, well, you're just supposed to give your prayers and petitions to God and bring all the things that you want. Well, yeah, 
There are, there's precedence for that, but it's not the only thing. Sometimes we make it into the mountaintop experience where we go, you know what, we need to take ourselves away from everybody, get away, go to the mountains, be by ourselves, not talk to anyone for four days and just commune with nature and let God speak to us. There's precedence for it. There's value in it. But it's not an either or. Like this message series when we're talking about help and we're talking about forgiveness or talking about wow and recognizing the things around us that stop us and stun us um, or giving thanks, they're not separate. They're all intertwined. And there's nothing to stop you from actually having a prayer life that is praying without ceasing, which is really what the Bible tells us to do. But I think the problem is that a lot of us will hear the concept of, well, we're supposed to pray without ceasing, and we get really tangled up, like, well, am I just supposed to walk around and act like I'm talking to myself all day? Because that's not going to go great. It doesn't always have to be 30 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes at night, every six months out in the wilderness. It's okay to have one-sentence prayers. How many times have you been in your car and suddenly someone pops into your head that you haven't thought about in years, and then you just move on? That could be an opportunity right there. God, I don't know why this person popped into my head, but I just pray that today they know that they're loved by you and other people. And go on with your day. Embracing the idea of praying without ceasing is just having the awareness that at any time you are able to communicate with the Creator who so wants to be in relationship with you. In regards to wow prayer, it is being able to recognize and voice the wonder you see and experience. The other night, I was coming back from Hopewell, helping a friend out, and it was right when the sun was setting. It was like postcard, like the sun was behind the clouds, the rays were shooting out. I was going over the James River. Everything was reflective. It was perfect. And the only thing I could think of to say was, God, you're amazing. That's a prayer. It doesn't need to be super complicated. Chris, over the past few weeks, has given us some practical advice at the end of the message. I want to continue that today. So I'm going to give you three things that I think can help foster this idea of having wow prayer and being able to rest in the wonder. The first thing is this. Give yourself five minutes a day to observe, reflect, and give recognition. Like anything else in life that we want to become habit, we need to be intentional about it. Okay? This means five minutes. Just five. Five minutes, uninterrupted time, no phones, no tablets, no Apple Watches, no computers, no TVs, nothing. The idea is to give yourself five minutes to focus on one thing to find the wonder and awe about it. And it could be anything. It could be when you're playing with your children. It could be a rock formation. It could be your favorite scripture. It could be listening to your favorite worship song. It could be a plate of pasta because let me tell you, as an Italian, there is glory in a plate of pasta. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's you listening to the wind go through the trees whether it's watching a snail go along a rock, the point is, is to carve out five minutes just to observe one thing and give yourself the time to find the wonder and the wow. Because this is what will happen. The more time you give yourself to rest in the wonder, to rest in the pause, that's when you have the opportunity to be wowed by God. That's when you're going to have your faith expanded. Number two, surrender to your inner child. You know what is kind of exhausting about children, everything is a big deal. You know what's great about children? Everything's a big deal. 
When we were kids, everything was a big deal. Everything was new. Everything was exciting. Everything was wondrous and magical. And then we become adults. Ooh. And we become cynical dream killers. And we find ways to consume things and keep ourselves so busy so that we can just keep pushing down all the crap that exists inside of us so we don't have to deal with it. So rediscover your inner child. Go play outside. Go play with your friends. Play make-believe with your family or your friends. I don't know. Go play Quidditch. I don't know your life. Whatever. Play a new board game. Do something that you've never done before. Medical journals will repeatedly will say how much important fun is to the development of the mind and to stress relief. But more importantly, fun is so good for your soul. So embrace your inner child. The third thing is share the wow. We all know that sharing is caring, unless it's germs in which Purell is your best friend. But something happens where we don't want to share the excitement that we have. We don't want to share the wow. We don't want to do any of those things. And I personally think it's because we get embarrassed and our pride takes over because we don't want people to think we're weird or strange. Well, you are. Own it. We all are in some special way. I've worked at this church for two months. Believe me, this staff here is weird. I've met a lot of you over the past two months. Believe me, some of y'all a little weird. That's okay. Because here's the thing. We all see things differently. We all notice different things. And what happens is when we're so willing to just be open and honest and share the wow with other people, we create a sacred space that allows others to have a new perspective. And that is not a bad thing. Fred Craddock, an old Methodist preacher whom I love hearing preach, he talked often of taking walks and finding things to marvel at, but more importantly, finding people to share it with. So I'm going to tell us this all lovingly. We kind of just need to get over ourselves. I want to close with this. There's something beautiful and magical to me about the sound that exists after it snows. I love it. <laughs> I don't know why. Maybe it's because I grew up in Southern California where it didn't snow. But I love that weird muffled sound the branches are covered and glistening. The eaves of buildings look all dressed up and there's that blanket of white, but it's that sound that just gets me every time because it's so amazing. But there are amazing things in our lives and around us every day that are just begging to be noticed again or for the very first time. And there is the Creator our Father, who every day is willing to meet us exactly where we're at. Whether you're broken, whether you're succeeding in our failures, in our dreams and hopes and aspirations, in our disbelief, He's there to meet us with our, in our questions, when we're tired and exhausted, when we're wired on Red Bull. He is there. And he is there in our wonder and awe, which I think is the biggest wow of them all. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And we're going to ask you guys to, 
come down the rows on the left side and go across um, if you would like to participate in communion. But as you're taking communion today, recognize that even the act of taking communion is a wow moment. The reality that our God loves us so much that Jesus died for our sins so that we could have new life. That's overwhelming. I'm going to pray, and as you're coming forward or if you stay in your seat and just uh, worship with the band, I want to challenge you, even in this moment, to just focus on the wonder of it all. Will you pray with me? Our Father, holy is your name. God, I pray today for us that we will always hold your name as holy. But God, I also pray today that you will stir up inside of us a desire to be captivated by the wonder and awe that exists around us and in our lives every day. From the smallest of moments to the grandest of gestures, God, I pray that our eyes and our ears and our souls will be open to how you meet us in the everyday, even in the mundane experiences. God, as we get ready to take care or take part in communion and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for our son, let us not just remember the sacrifice, but the victory over death also. Realizing that we have a place. We have a place in your kingdom. We have a place in your home, in your house. And that you love us just the way we are. Whether we're broken or put together, it doesn't matter. Because you are still our father. Amen.